everyone. We are here today from Scientist Rebellion and we have one simple demand which is here in the, on the banner in front of me. Hello everyone and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. I'm Gabe. And what you were just hearing there uh, was the sound of a, a protest, an act of civil disobedience that happened in Berlin recently at the Berlin airport, at the mm -hmm. private jet terminal there. Yeah, it, scientists dressed in lab coats blocking the entrance or kind of blocking the entrance to the uh, private jet terminal. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about the, that <laughs> particular protest in just a minute here, but Gabe and I were there because honestly at this point it felt like we kind of had to be. Yeah, there, there's been a wave of these kinds of instances of civil disobedience happening around Europe, around the world, perpetrated primarily by climate activists, but also now scientists. Yeah, and it's really... Professors? I, you use the image of a wave. In my mind, the, it's it's like little wildfires popping up in separate places throughout Europe, primarily, and doing different things, but it's all toward the same goal and seems very similar. In fact, if you're not paying attention, it feels like one unified movement. It's, well, it's, yeah, that's the thing. The, the, the wave metaphor would be that it's spreading yeah. around the world. So let me give some evidence to support that notion because I think a lot of these things didn't make the news outside of Europe and I'm convinced um, that wherever you live, these kinds of actions, these protests, the civil disobedience is probably coming to you soon. So rewind just a little bit to the end of uh, August. That mm -hmm. is when here in Germany, in Munich, down in the south, uh, I didn't even really notice it at the, or pay attention to it at the time. These, these, these protesters, these two guys... Uh, they're from a group called Letzte Generation, Last Generation. Yep. They went inside an art museum. The Pinakothek Museum yeah. down in Munich. Exactly. Yeah. And they went to this huge painting. A lot of very important Dürer paintings down there. But and anyway. In this case, uh, Rubens. Rubens, yeah. Yeah, Rubens. Um, a painting from the 17th century, yeah. right? You stay far away from it. No, they walked up to it and they glued their thumbs or their fingers, one of their digits. They super glued it to mm -hmm. the frame yeah. of that painting. Such that you could not remove them physically from the painting. Right. And so. Without causing 11,000 euros of damage that's what in the, the process. In fact, that's what the museum is saying happened. And uh, the, the civil authorities or the, the, the um, municipal court in Munich is at the moment agreeing with them, saying there's going to be a substantial fine for these protesters. But I would say that not too many people paid attention to that, and myself included. Yeah. Fast forward to uh, two weeks later, mid-October. This is one that you may have seen out there. This is the National Gallery in London, where Vincent van Gogh, uh, the Dutch painter, yeah. where his sunflowers painting had a, an open can of, of tomato soup dumped on it by protesters. Yeah. That one made it certainly, if not around the world, far. That image was seen by a lot of eyeballs on planet Earth. Pretty much people everywhere in Germany somehow heard of that in some way, and the reaction was almost universally negative, it felt. Yeah. Uh, they were angry that that had happened. I think a lot of people missed the fact that there was a glass, uh, that there was glass protecting the painting and that the painting itself wasn't damaged and that the frame, I believe, didn't suffer any damage? The, yeah, well, that's the question I heard asked everywhere in, in the wake of that uh, event was why, why direct your protest at art? Right. What did, what did, uh, what did the art do? Right. And the <laughs> line of argumentation was that why, effectively, why are we okay with our earth warming to the point of, of, of climate catastrophe and yet, you know, a, a small painting getting damaged in some way 
is is you know terrible. We all we're all outraged. Why 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 don't we care about those two things equally? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was if you hadn't been paying attention, that was a very different group. That was not the same group that glued super glued their fingers to the frame. This was Just Stop Oil. They're based in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go through the next few real quickly here. Fast forward two weeks later in Munich, the Scientist Rebellion group. Uh, that's one we're about to talk about in a minute. They were down in the Munich. BMW. Yeah, down in Munich, yeah, okay. and they um, they poured what was later referred to as a sticky black liquid. I'm not sure if it was oil itself or something to... It certainly looks like oil. I've seen yeah, that video, yeah. Yeah. They went to a BMW showroom. The uh, the M8, the new, the brand new M8 was being sh- uh, shown, shown off. Yeah. A very <laughs> powerful motor inside there that obviously consumes a lot of, of, of gasoline. Mm-hmm. And they dumped an oil-like substance all over that car, some other cars. They also glued themselves. Yeah. And the scientists, they, they were arrested, right? They were, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure the latest, for, uh, but are facing criminal consequences, mm-hmm. facing some, some consequences for that. Uh, final thing that you might have seen recently, and I, I personally just visually, this, this was, I think, one of the best, was a couple weeks later, this is, we're in November now, hundreds of Dutch protesters going to Amsterdam Schiphol Airport and um, breaching the private jet uh, airstrip and on bicycles, which is so Dutch, it's perfectly Dutch. And they rode their bicycles all over the tarmac so that no plane could take off and no plane could land. And Riding around like the Wicked Witch of the West up on her And you have all these Dutch police officers trying to chase them. You can't catch somebody on a bike. It's really kind of comical footage. Those groups, and it was groups plural here, Greenpeace, Extinction Rebellion, and other organizations involved. I guess the point I'm trying to make... Lots of different things happening in different places, effectively trying to accomplish the same thing, which is to limit the amount of, at the very least, CO2 going up in the air and the, um, I, I don't know, the, the, the way that society has sort of, I mean, people care about that, but yeah. they don't, there's not enough action trying to provoke us into doing something more about it. Yeah, there are a lot of things to talk about here on this one. The, the first thing, we wanted to get in touch with uh, one of these groups and and talk to them about what why they're doing this because it is an escalation in the, in the form of protests. They're now breaking the law, right? And we got in touch with a guy named Nico Freutzheim, uh, who was part of the Scientist Rebellion, who was at that private jet protest in Berlin that we heard at the beginning of the show. And he's actually a professor here in Bonn of geology. And uh, we went to his office and asked him what led to that decision to all of a sudden break the law on behalf of the climate? I, I decided to engage in civil disobedience when I understood that our government is not willing to make sufficient measures against climate crisis. And this was in spite of all these demonstrations and in spite of these uh, climate reports and all the evidence. So they just want to go on as always. I think a lot of people around the world have felt disappointed or frustrated with their government at some point that that they're not doing enough to combat climate change. But feeling that frustration or disappointment is very different from going out and doing something that's illegal to, to, to stop it. So why, that's a, that's a big step, it's a huge step. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I do, I'm doing all the rest as well. I'm teaching about climate crisis, I'm going to these demonstrations, 
I'm discussing with politicians. I'm do, I, I do all this stuff, but it's not enough because these things have been done all the time for, for 30 or 40 years and it, they didn't, it didn't help. And uh, civil disobedience is from, from history. It is known that it works or it can work. And in spite of continuing with all this old stuff that is, does not work, is not enough, it's, t it's, it's a chance to do something new that may work. Yeah, and again, that was Nico Feuzheim, who was also then in Berlin. In fact, we talked to him just before he hopped on a train, an overnight train. To uh, get to Berlin for the protest. So we met up with him a couple of days before the private jet protest. Yeah. Um, and when we were in Berlin, we were also speaking with other researchers, other other people, other experts on social protest well, movements uh, for, to yeah. get a sense of when when does an escalation of protest make sense? When does civil disobedience make sense? I'm not going to say it's a slippery slope, but when somebody says, I have a right to engage in civil disobedience... Um, how yeah. do you justify that? How, how do you know that? And, and, and why? <laughs> it, there, there are seven billion people on Earth. They have. Oh, they eight, all have a right. Eight. We're, we're, oh, we're up to eight now. Eight billion yeah. people day. Yeah. Yeah. Just had that one. The no, day of eight billion. <laughs> so, um, when? Yeah. When is that the right thing to do? And and is there any scientific research on that? Uh, it turns out there is. And actually, there's an uh, I believe an EU-funded institute based in Berlin. It's the Institute for Protest and and Movements or Social Movements, and uh, they look at these questions and try to analyze exactly what protests do and don't do, and what civil disobedience does or doesn't do. One of the researchers uh, we got in contact with, her name is Lisa Bogertz. She's been looking into just that question for quite a while now, and and that was what we went to her to try to find out when does Civil disobedience makes sense. And we got there really late in Berlin, and she opened her door to us. That was, that was really nice of her. It was like 10 p.m. when we interviewed her, which is not always the case. Yeah. If, uh, if the social movement protest has been trying different tools and different tactics of protest for a while, and it sees that they have not had the effect that they were wishing for, then it definitely makes sense to use another tool and, for, for instance, to be more disruptive than before. And for instance, also to to uh, apply civil disobedience to see if it works. So from from uh, the perspective of repertoires of contention and protest cycles, it makes total sense, like to to try. But there's no way to tell that it will be effective because it depends on so many factors, right? It, it depends on uh, whether this form of um, of tool will be legitimate in the eye of the public. It depends also on the society, like what are the other discourses um, it's situating in. It also um, depends on whether the movement is able to, to feed into a broader narrative and to also make clear why it is important, right? Because um, the effectiveness of protest loses um, or like gets lost if the, the activists are not able to also communicate their actual demands. Because what we are talking about all the time is just the form. And what actually counts is the content, right? So, um, and when the public only talks about the form, but they don't really understand what is the, the actual content of the demands, then it won't be successful, 
right? So you have to link these two things. And if this um, protest movement uh, manages to do it in an effective way, then it's probably a good idea to try. So yeah, civil disobedience, going out, breaking the law, sitting on the street, gluing your your fingers to the streets. They've done that here in Germany and in other countries. Yeah, splashing oil and and soup against paintings. It it has its place. It's 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 one of the tools in the tool belt. And I'm not sure there are many people who would disagree with that. But what people, at least here in Germany, but also abroad, seem to have strongly disagreed with is is the tactics employed or deployed. So splashing something onto an old painting, that made people really, really angry. In fact, I would say that made most people instinctively, reactively angry. Mm. And at, at what point have you have you turned off huge swaths of people to the to the to the message that you're trying to promote and possibly permanently? Uh, there was a I saw a tweet like that where somebody said basically, look, um, it was the Just Stop Oil group. I was with you before You've lost me forever. Forever. Don't do that. I don't believe in that. And yet, that same action and other actions where it was that group in particular, they went around to some of the luxury auto dealerships in London and sprayed them with, with, with bright orange paint all over the place. Ferrari. Porsche. I th- Porsche was yeah. also there, I believe. Um, that has attracted a lot of attention. And that it, at some point, it's an equation and I was interested, we were interested in that equation. At what point does the cost of turning some people off to your movement hmm. outweigh the risk of attracting new people to the movement? Or is that something you can even measure? Or has it ever been measured? Yeah, I, I ran out onto the street to talk to people here in Bonn, Germany, just to get a sense of how it's gone down amongst normal people. Like, what do you, what do you think when you see these, uh, these extreme protests? Are you with them? Do you support the... the the, 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 the narrative, as Lisa Bogertz was talking about there, what they're trying to achieve. Um, do you support how they're doing it? And uh, this was one lady, uh, an old retired teacher named Gudrun, um, who kind of summarized really what I heard a lot when I was out on the streets. I don't support the protests, I, but I feel a certain sympathy because it's important that w- with what the people want, want to be seen is seen. So, uh, and the Fridays for Future, they go and go and go and nothing happens, or not so much. And I think um, to try out some other forms of protest is okay, but I don't support this form. So, um, I'm in between a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, so a very fair summary, a very articulate summary from from Gudrun, age 67. She was so worried about me using her her voice and, and her picture. For Deutsche Welle. Why? Like right after she, because she thought that um, she had said the wrong thing. <gasps> I'm going to make the people in, in the climate movement angry. I'm going to make the people who, who don't want works of art destroyed angry. Because mm. she was in between. So she, did, she can't take sides. It's one of those things where it's, it's easy to take a side. It's very divisive. Well, the side, so, what, she, what I like about how she phrased it is mm. she was most of us i'm not sure any of our listeners out there will write us an email saying i don't support you know um any reduction in co2 output or you know basically i don't support uh reducing climate change Every, we're all we're all pretty much there we all pretty much agree that we need globally drastic action to reduce the anthropomorphic the human based impact yeah. on the climate we all agree on that and most of us i believe agree that the, the rate of that change 
seems to be happening too slowly. I mean, the UN is is saying this. The 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 head of the United Nations, I believe it was, used the word climate hell. Highway to hell. Yeah. Highway to climate hell. Highway to climate hell to talk about the course that we are currently on. There is not a debate. Well, I mean, that's what these protests are, right? They're directed at the non-responsiveness of the people in power when it comes to mitigating climate change. You're trying to, to move a, a, a cruise ship, right? It's really heavy. It takes a lot of pushing. And so that's what's interesting. We're all on the same page there. And most of us are, would agree that the change isn't happening enough. And yet these tactics are divisive. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think for you and me, that, that was the biggest question of all. If, if, if we want to accelerate change, do these tactics do that? Yes. We, or, we, 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 <laughs> we spoke with another scientist, Colin Davis, right? Yeah. So Colin Davis, he's, he's the... Uh, or you spoke to this guy. Yeah, clinical psychology chair at the University of Bristol. What's, what's interesting about him is that he, he's not just a, a psychologist in general who has a good idea of you know, how people think. He has studied specifically what these kinds of protests and acts of civil disobedience do to change the narrative. My name is Colin Davis. I'm chairing cognitive psychology at the University of Bristol. Um, and uh, one of the strands of my research is about the psychology of protest and in particular, the impact that protest has on observers. What should protesters not do? What, 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 it, what is the red line where most of the general public will say, you know what, forget you, whatever you stood for before, I, 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 don't, I don't care anymore. I'm not with you. Well, I think where that line is will differ for different groups. Um, so if you consider uh, quite, quite large organizations, you know, a group like Greenpeace, for instance, then some of the sorts of tactics that we've seen recently, like you know, throwing super paintings and so on, wouldn't be good tactics for Greenpeace because they would, they would lose a lot of members, you know, their donations would go down. They wouldn't have the same opportunities to sit at the table with uh, government actors and so on. But for smaller groups, you know, like Just Stop Oil, um, there are relatively few people who will engage in the kinds of tactics uh, that, that they perform. And so getting lots of attention is a good way for them to find those people. So they can actually increase their numbers. When people see so-called radical groups engaging in these more extreme tactics, one of the impacts of that is that the moderate factions are perceived as more moderate. So, so Greenpeace becomes even more uh, mainstream and kind of centrist and sensible by virtue of the actions of groups like Just Stop Oil. And that can have a beneficial effect on the number of donations that um, Greenpeace gets and their general levels of support. So perhaps uh, counterintuitively, radical tactics can have a positive effect on the climate movement as a whole. Is it fair to say, based on the research, that, that acts of civil disobedience really work? They're, they're a, a very effective form of, of protest, and that the reward, it, it sounds like, is higher than the risk of, of going, quote unquote, too far. I think the, the risks of going too far that we often hear about are greatly overblown. So I don't think there's good evidence for uh, protest having a counterproductive effect in the sense of turning people away from a cause. Now, it's a separate question as to uh, is civil disobedience effective in 
bringing about the intended changes. There, it's much harder to say. So we can look at historical examples where it seems that civil disobedience has been uh, effective. I mean, the US civil rights movement is a good example. People often talk about the suffragettes. Um, so in, in this country, people like to say that women got the right to vote because of the actions of the suffragettes, but actually uh, it's very hard to know. And some people would say that, um, that there was no impact of the suffragettes or even that may have been counterproductive. So it's hard to, to find out about these questions, sometimes even after a, a long time. But for people who are engaged in, in these movements and trying to bring about change, I think there is good reason to think that civil disobedience is uh, one of the approaches that is most likely to enable them to bring about change. So again, Colin Davis there talking to us from Bristol in England and making a pretty compelling case that the evidence shows that these acts of civil disobedience work. Yeah, and um, Socrates would agree. What? <laughs> Sorry, well, you go. You go hey, didn't go, he go poison, back, poison, back, poison hemlock? Go back to 399 BC in Plato's Republic. One of the one of the dialogues, the Apology. Uh, Plato talks about how Socrates at one point argued because he was told by the state in Athens that he couldn't teach in public. He did it anyways, and they put him on trial. And in his at at trial, he said that look. When the laws of the state are at conflict with laws that transcend the state, then you, the individual has the obligation to disobey the laws of the state. Right. So I, I was at his prison this summer, his, his jail cell in Athens. Where he died? Because um, he was executed. Because after... after that's what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're taking inspiration from a guy who drank poison, hemlock. Dude, I'm saying that he said that at trial and then went and started teaching again and then was executed. Yeah. And there's a site... So civil disobedience didn't really work out well for Socrates, even well, though he, he defended it quite well. He, that, that's one thing that when we talked to Colin, um, that the evidence, again, this point wasn't his research in particular, but mm. it's part of that literature, that he made very clear. Effectively... If people see an act of civil disobedience that they don't like, they don't necessarily divorce themselves immediately from the movement. Mm -hmm. They might just say, I didn't like that particular act, but I still support the movement. Second to that is the idea that the, the, the onus of, of hatred, of public anger, fury, it's the individual protester typically. So I'm not, I'm not going um, to, what, what's the word? heroicize them and make heroic figures out of these people. But these individuals going into these situations and participating in the protests get a lot of hate. That's, that's part of the equation, speaking of equations. Yeah. When you think justice is, is a subjective thing, you can think that you are just, that you, what, the thing that you're fighting for is right. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. There's 8 billion people in this world. If everyone was, is allowed to participate in civil disobedience based on what they think or their views, that's going to lead to a lot of chaos. So where do you draw the line? When yep. is it right? And that's what we asked Nico Freudsheim, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the professor of geology at the Scientist Rebellion. We asked him that very question. How, how do you justify your act of civil disobedience against someone, for instance, on January 6th? 
who was being very civilly disobedient for some other cause. I have children and I have grandchildren. And th their future is extremely threatened by this climate catastrophe or climate crisis. To help humanity survive on this planet is probably the, high, the best legitimation that you can think of. Civil disobedience occurs or is, 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 is exerted when there is a strong injustice. It's against injustice. And, and when, the, when the injustice becomes too great, civil disobedience becomes legitimate. And it's not only legitimate, it is mandatory. It's not only legitimate. It's something that we have to do. Yeah, so that, that's Nico Fortzheim saying, basically, he feels you have to do this. I, that, that is up for debate. And frankly, there are a lot of scientists out there, probably, probably some of them listening right now, who would say, no, no, I don't. I, mm. I, I don't have to do that. In fact, I'm allowed to do my research in the lab or at my university or at my institution. And to, to just do that, of, of course, it's a very personal decision that everyone has to make. And there are potentially real costs. It's a, it's a, it's a strange question wondering whether scientists are kind of, I don't know, crossing a line when, when they go out and become activists. We talked to a guy in Berlin, one of the scientists there who said, no, no, you know, sure, are there minor risks possibly, but so long as you're not, you know, disrupting the field that you're researching, yeah. there isn't a conflict. Why can't a geologist who spends his day examining rocks go out and uh, do something on behalf of the climate? Um, it seems to me that it's something new, though. There was a, a, a joint letter published by a, a bunch of scientists this, uh, this summer in August arguing for the need that Nico was talking about there. And they were saying, like, look, if, if we just sat here and, 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 and let happen what we know is going to happen, that's also not right. Yeah, there is something new about it. There really is. It, it, not the fact that these protests or these acts of civil disobedience are popping up all over. What's new is how they're doing it or what exactly they're doing because the media landscape has changed. Yeah, so, and, the, and the age of the people doing it. They, they, yeah. They, well, I think a lot of social movements have started with younger crowds in the past. This time they're extremely young, mm. pro possibly younger than ever before. But part of the tactic now includes doing something very, very visual for social media. So mm. the more colorful the paint, the more... Uh, the more colorful or, or visually impacting, that's part of, the, that's, that's part of how you Actually, do it. that's a good point. The, the, the idea of a, of a protest happening without a smartphone recording it is unthinkable. It's, it, it, doesn't ha it didn't happen. Impossible. It, it didn't happen if you didn't record it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> no, again, the question seems to have been answered, at least for us, based on the researchers and research we had access to, that what people are doing here has an impact what do you think? You've listened to this for 30 minutes out there. Uh, do you think watching uh, famous paintings, famous works of art being splashed with soup or beautiful new automobiles, gas-guzzling automobiles being splashed with oil, is that going to make you change your behavior? Yeah, it should be. Effectively, should... That is, is that the question? Should, should people <clears throat> be breaking the law to try and save the climate at this point in time? Are we at a point where that is necessary or okay 
Justified, yeah. Justified, is it something you agree with? Let us know. SU at DW.com. DW. Made for Minds.